0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 708. One has to
1: be as happy as possible.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello automotive enthusiasts! I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest all the way from Istanbul, Turkey, Ahmet Angun. Ahmet, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Not only that, but the full
1: engine is at full revs, (laughs) waiting the clutch to be released.
0: Alright, hold on baby, here we go. Ahmet Angun lives in Istanbul, Turkey and is an international rally competitor who holds the title of Turkish champion For Classic Sporting for 2008 and 2009. He's competed in the Peking to Paris Rally and is the founding chairman of the Turkish Classic Automobile Club and the Porsche Club of Istanbul. His professional career began as the director of Ganmount Group of Companies in London from 1974 to 92 and while in London, Anmut founded Gantec, one of the leading information and communications companies in Turkey. He has been the chairman of the board of Gantec Group since nineteen ninety two. So Ahmed, I have told our listeners just a little tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment, to share a little bit more about your career and of course your passion for automobiles?
1: Sure. About my career, I did study electrical and electronic engineering, but I must confess wish it was automobiles, automobiles in a way. I remember when I did get my Bachelor of Science degree, I did ring the old man in Turkey at the time. and said, Dad, thank you for your support for four years. May I have another request? He said, go and shoot. So I said, Dad, may I start from scratch and do automobile engineering? (laughs) He said, son, I don't have a print shop printing out pound Sterling's, US dollars. Uh, This is the end of this conversation, and I I don't want to hear it anymore. So, (laughs) you know, okay, I quite enjoy what I'm doing, but on the other hand, wish it was cars.
0: Yeah, that's pretty funny. That's a pretty funny story. I think that's a story that's been played out many times from a college graduate who realized, "Mm, maybe my passion is over here and not over there. So... Exactly. That's pretty funny. Well, tell us before we get into the questions a little bit about that career path that you went down and then how it evolved into your incredible passion for cars and particularly off-road stuff.
1: About the career path, uh, whilst I was uh, engaged in engineering projects out in Turkey, engaging manufacturers worldwide as suppliers, uh, like a bit of a Japanese model, there was saw a requirement for third-party maintenance company that's for computers in those days. Mm-hmm. This is going back to mid-80s when uh, digital was up and running. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to catch a deal for a two-year period that gave us uh, the uh, momentum, the reason, and the cash to set up the company. I- in life, one tries very hard in setting up a company, spending time and uh, uh, money, of course. Then once you are set up, you still further have to invest in time and money to be able to get some business. There was opportunity in a large contract that I was involved in, and uh, there was no one in Turkey to perform the duty. So I, I, I volunteered, and I said, gentlemen, uh, let me put an offer on the table for all of you to consider. I said, I'll give you a bid for two years to do exactly what you want me, other companies to do, i.e. set up three offices throughout Turkey, uh, gear them up with uh, computer engineers, uh, get them motorized, and then go out and build the data centers and then maintain them. Mm. And I said, this I will do at zero profit level at cost. But in turn, I need to have a two-year contract because by that time, I said, with your money, I'll be setting up a business. There's no hidden uh, extras in this. It's not rocket science. But I'm sure... In Turkey, in mid-'80s, the uh, IT business was at infancy. There was plenty of uh, avenues ahead to expand, and I could see this. Uh. So we shook hands. It was £12,500 per month, which equated in those terms, say, 20000 bucks a month, Mm -hmm. and uh, this was in 87. And the rest followed, and we became prime computers in Turkey for hardware in due course. And then they were brought over by Computer Vision, the CATCam people. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I found out that we had customers waiting for us, Ford Motor Company, Fiat Motor Company in Turkey, and two telco manufacturers, Alcatel and Northern Telco. Ah. Now, Mark, in life, one has to be hardworking, knowing all that they're trying to do in depth, being honest about your business. But if all of those uh, uh, which you called criteria are present, you still need one big Issue and that is luck. <laughs> uh, hence, hence, the saying to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I just realized that I was in the right place at the right time because you know all of us sudden, no, oh, and I, we landed up with four international accounts in our doorstep. They were keen to have the support for CATCam, computer vision, a US company, needless to say, and that led way into Sun Microsystems. Sun Microsystems was set up in '86, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and by '89 we signed up as a Sun. Microsystems uh, reseller throughout Turkey for technical markets. Ah! Again, that gave way to the GSM, the mobile telecom industry, mm-hmm. and the actual hardware, the, the de facto hardware, the chosen hardware was Sun kit worldwide because of the price performance. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, there were three large companies being set up in Turkey to do the uh, mobile, uh, which you call calling, and. Uh, we were able to supply the, the largest one and bits and pieces on the others. But the business was so demanding in terms of supply, we couldn't – in those days, in sort of uh, late 80s, one received orders by fax. Right. We were running out of paper in the fax machine.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> and the, the more we, we, we sold, the more people we employed. And, of course, profit margins are very very tiny in, in our industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were not making much money, but the company was building up quite nicely and positively. Yeah. And uh, uh, this led way to a Greek outfit, the biggest uh, group of companies in Greece, buying 40% of our company in 2000. That was the first f- uh, foreign direct investment in Turkey in our field.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we were all of a sudden partners with our good neighbors, Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, for years, Turkey and Greece has had problems, but it's the people of the same sort. It's the same attitude, same region. Right. And uh, it was great because I did uh, share a flat in, in Wales in the in United Kingdom where I studied. With well, the Greek guy, Stelios Partikalakis. I love them. They're, they're brothers. They're really nice people. Yeah. So for five years, we had them as, uh, as shareholders, but then they walked out of technology. I bought the shares back, and it's been a single show since that day. So it's been a sort of an interesting um, background. Of course, Sun Micro was uh, purchased about 10 or 12 years ago by Mr. Larry Ellison, the mm-hmm. Oracle yes. outfit. Now, we're one of the big boys in Oracle world. And uh, it's a love and hate relationship with any OEM. <laughs> yes. Sometimes you love them, sometimes yeah. you hate them. But yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, one has to be able to tango. It takes, to tango. It takes two to tango. Yes. You take a bit, you give a bit. You know how it goes. And no one succeeds by saying it's going to be all mine. There's no such thing in, in the world. You've got no. to be able to share.
0: Not anymore. And, you know, you mentioned early on in, in telling that fascinating story of your journey about luck. And I always say that luck is really a lot about when the road of preparation collides with the road of opportunity. And those two roads come together to create a new highway. And it uh, sounds like that's exactly sure. what happened for you. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of a mantra or saying that has a great meaning for you. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, Ahmet, take the wheel.
1: Right. My approach to life is one has to be as happy as possible. To expand a bit on that, we always have a glass of water on the table. Part of it is empty, part of it is full. Mm. No matter how much water you have in the glass, please concentrate on what you have. Yes. Forget about complaining on the empty side because that is, a, that is really a road to nowhere and it will only bring one down. In life, we do have and we will have issues. As long as they're not big health issues, they're all possibly solvable, i.e. one one is quite easy, at the end of the day, finding a way out of it. It's yes. not the same with health issues, as we know, God forbid. Yes. But on the other hand, my motto about life is be happy and try to be happy. Happiness is what drives us. It is the fuel for our soul. Yes. A happy man is a successful man, is a sort of a liked man. Yes. A, a, an unhappy man is not wanted neither by his family, nor by his friends, nor by his work colleagues. We only have one life to lead, and we have to be wise enough and studious enough and committed enough to make it a happy life. That's what life is all about.
0: It's a great way to go through life, and I always say that the key to being happy is being grateful, because when you're grateful, it's very hard to be angry and to be thinking about what you don't have. So uh, very nicely said. Well, would you go back in time for me and share a story that instigated your passion for cars? I know you have a lot of cars. You've had a lot of cars. You're very involved with cars in many Mm. ways. You've sent me some awesome photographs of your many vehicles. But let's go back and uh, talk about that time in your life, that pivotal moment when you realized you were a car guy.
1: Would you believe if I said to you, I was not even aware of myself when this thing came up? with me, because I was two years of age when I just started talking apparently, <laughs> and in those days Turkey did not have too many cars in it mm-hmm. and we were living in Ankara, the headquarters mm-hmm. where there were lots of US service people, mm. and they brought their American cars over and then they sold them as they were leaving so all the cars that one sold on the streets were American Chevys, Ramblers uh, what you call Mercuries, Montereys, yep. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and my parents always swore to the fact that as I started speaking, I was pointing at the cars going by and saying, that's a Ford, that's a Chevy. <laughs> you know, as as simple as that. And people were flabbergasted because they said, Jesus Christ, this guy is only two and a half or three, whatever, you know. Yeah. He can't read. How the hell does he know the car? I have no clue. But <laughs> this, is, this is what really got my parents all switched on, saying, my God, what do we have here? Is he an abnormal chap or what? You know, <laughs> this little thing, what is he? And uh, – I never gave up my sort of interest as, as, as I got to know myself. It was all cars, 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 and cars. Yeah. You know, one thing attracted me, that was only cars. And I watched my dad, how he would, of course, in those days, straight stick. The manual cars were in fashion. I always watched my dad, how he was starting the car, how he was getting off the straight. One day, I was about eight years of age. I borrowed the keys, to, with the excuse of getting my pullover from the car sweater. uh And I got into it, and I drove it off. I just had <laughs> eight <laughs> <and laughs> oh I old. And I came and parked the car back, and it was great, uh, great, great uh, excitement. And uh, in the later uh, coming years, uh, in the sort of junior school, age 12 to 15, I must confess I was a naughty boy because on Saturday nights or when Dad was away, the Chevy, we had a 63 Chevy, uh, Biscayne, and uh, there were spare keys. I knew where the spare keys was. When they were not taking the car out, going with friends or something, or he was away, I used to take the car out of the garage to have a full night in the car, and there was a tall student.
0: Uh-oh. And the police <laughs> never
1: stopped me, so I was driving my car over and over and again, and one day when I was 16, the uh, a local shopkeeper saw me, apparently early in the morning, this is. And uh, he said to my parents, congratulations, you ha- your son has a driving license.
0: Uh-oh, uh-oh.
1: It, it was not fun. much fun going back home that night. No. That was not happy. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> then he started putting down the mileage of the Chevy on a piece of paper. <laughs> yes. And there were, there were some manuals in the car and in the house that he had uh, brought over from states or had or delivered from states. And I went to the manual. I found out how the speedo. Could be con- disconnected, oh my gosh. by going behind <laughs> by going behind the dash, I remember vividly, so this I was doing again, and uh, then when he found out that I was playing with the uh, myometer, there was again big arguments, but God bless his soul, he was't able, able to he was never able to stop me properly because <laughs> I was at times taking it away for two weeks, you know. Once he, he was leaving, to four, he was heading Turkish Electricity Company at the time. Uh-huh. So he was spending two or three weeks in the States talking to big boys of GE and Westinghouse. And I used to get up in the morning, four o'clock, get the car out of the garage, park two streets down, two blocks down. And then for two weeks, I had a car to myself. And I I was acting as if I was going to school, whereas I was just getting into the car, picking up my friends and just bumming around.
0: Hey, you are a scoundrel.
1: <laughs> I was a scoundrel, quite right so.
0: Oh, my gosh. Funny story. Wow. Okay. Well, we will move on from all of your uh, days as a young punk uh, swiping your dad's car. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, Ahmed, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or a big failure that you faced along the way. Take us to that painful point, but then tell us how it helped you move forward and how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career or your business.
1: Now, uh, having set up the Classic Car Club in Turkey, of course, we were aware of whoever was going to Turkey on a Classic Rally. And this uh, uh, London to Sydney, picking to Paris, Uh, they were not too frequent, but once every five, ten years, a bunch of cars, 200, 100 cars, whatever, were going to Turkey. And each time, I offered my, as a club, full corporation Mm -hmm. to support the fellow enthusiasts to have the repairs done in, in Istanbul. We have excellent mechanics, panel beaters, they're still around, but they don't speak much English, unfortunately. Mm. So we were taking the people interested. And uh, we have had engines rebuild overnight, as simple as that, you know. Yes. Uh, and spares are plenty of old cars here. Still, or they were not anymore, probably all drying up. Things are changing rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I vowed to myself that one day I'll do the picking to Paris. And in 2007, with a close friend of mine, Again, a classic rally enthusiast, we were just about were able to apply, and we were not able to then in the next course because there were some business issues and we said both said okay let 's do it next time so 2010, two thousand and ten event came up we looked at each other we said, "Bingo, we are going, nothing to stop us this time and uh, I had a sixty two Fintail 220 SE Mercedes. This is the uh, rally version um, uh, that was very successful in oh, yeah. Monte Carlo, yeah. Luxembourg, in, in Africa. It was only 130 horsepower, but it was an excellent car to wind up. And uh, it's it, although it was a huge body on it, four doors, it's huge for those days, of course. Those are small cars nowadays. Right. The cars really get got so so big in dimensions as we know. This was, you know, still a big day car in those days. Very, very uh, manageable around the corners, hanging the tail out and all that kind of jazz. <laughs> and it had disc brakes, S-E-B, B stood for disc brakes, and E was for injection. And uh, oh, this car was perfect. We did many Greek rallies and the Turkish rallies, always in the top. And I was sh- sure that we would get accepted. And God bless his soul, Philip Young of uh, Rally Association in UK, he passed away last year in a mm. motorcycle accident in Southeast Asia oh, no. that he was organizing. Mm. And uh, we, I picked up the phone and I said, Philip, would you like to have the first Turkish entry? He said, go on. And I told him that we're going. He says, great stuff. Okay. There's too many, too small places, too many applications, but tell me. He says, what car are you going to come in? 62, 220 ACB. I said, sorry, Ahmed, I can't do that. What do you mean, sorry? He says, well, those are very boxy cars, and we have too many of those, uh, Volvo's and Mercedes's. Unless it's something that is very interesting, I cannot get you in. I'm sorry. Oh,
0: no. So
1: I was very disappointed. I put the phone down. The whole ceiling really came down on me, so to speak. yeah. And I rang my friend, and he said, why don't we try... Uh, The Anadol, the uh, first uh, Turkish uh, volume-built car out of fiberglass and Ford Cortina Mechanicals, 1200cc engine, uh, gearbox, associated gearbox on the rear axle, Mm. that was imported, and the rest of the car was built in Turkey because it was just one mold, and you just put the, uh, what you call, uh, uh, the the fiberglass material and put the resin on top, uh, and uh, bingo, you know, you had the body of inexpensive way of manufacturing that car uh, sold 30,000. And saying that Fiat came and built one of the biggest factories in the world. So did Renault and then the rest followed suit. Wow. We have Hyundai today. We have Toyota. We have Mercedes. We have endless. I mean, it's been the number one industry since wow. turning around about $60 billion per annum. Probably feeding 15 million of 80 million people wow. with all the associated side uh, suppliers, you know, right. the uh, seat manufacturers, the dashboard manufacturers, all that kind of jazz. Yeah. Anyway, so I sent him a picture of an anagle that I used in an Arctopolis uh, uh, Classic rally. Within three minutes, we had the confirmation great, accepted. Ah. And then <laughs> we had to have the car totally rebuilt because it was a flimsy car, it was a cheap car, mm-hmm. so it, the quality wasn't there. And uh, we use high tensile steel for the chassis to – we remanufacture the chassis from scratch. Wow. But the rally was so tough. Even the this reinforced steel structure, it had six cracks on it by the time we, we finalized the rally because literally you don't go on roads for the Central Asia bit. Oh. There's potholes, there's fields, especially in Mongolia, in the Mongolian desert. It took us four days, five days to cross and uh, horrendous conditions. The uh, modern rally suspension was allowed, so we we borrowed that design from the modern rally cars. It was a very tough suspension. You lose and you drop out of this rally because of one reason. Uh, suspension is the main thing, mm. exhausts and things of that sort. And weight, weight. The car has to be as light as possible.
0: Now, that car you're mentioning, let me uh, interrupt for just a second here. How do you spell that? I'm trying to picture what that is. What's the spelling of
1: that? A-N-A-D-O-L. In the pictures that I've sent to you, uh, you will see plenty of pictures of that car with stickers on the side. Ah. It looks like a Ford, Ford Escort in yeah, a way. Yeah.
0: Yes. Okay. That's the one.
1: Okay. That's the, that's the car. Okay. It was it was uh, it was designed by Reliant Motor Company in Tamworth, uh, Birmingham, England, mm-hmm. and this company produced mainly. The very cheap three wheelers that was used in a comedy series in Britain, but also scimitar sports cars. It was a three liter four engine with fiberglass engine, uh, engine and, uh, in a way, sort of a estate looking uh, hatchback. Yes. It was a two door car with the rear window also opening up. The Royal Highness Princess Anne used to drive one of them. Uh-huh. So at the time it did uh, pick up many uh, sort of uh, publicity. Scimitars, S C I M I. T-A-R, Scimitar, Ah. Reliant Scimitar, but it was only known as Scimitar. The other one was Reliant Robin, the three-wheeler cheap cars. Ah. Those guys uh, designed this car specifically for Turkey. It was not built elsewhere, and uh, I could understand why we were accepted, because the moment we got the car out of the Turkey, like I did many times in Greece, people came and stuck to it. They said, what the hell is this? Because in the days of an internet era, you can't have a car that was produced in the mid-60s that no one knew about. Mm. Uh, you know, we'll, we're not talking about 10 cars, was 30,000 cars. Yeah. So, uh, the, this way, Philip Young, God bless his soul, was able to uh, introduce a car that was well hidden over decades.
0: Mm.
1: So, that was his upside. Cool. Uh, but… We just spent two years in manufacturing the car to perfection, you know, from... It was not really a restoration. It was totally coming out with a new chassis, new uh, suspension, but the engine was really dismal. Mm. Uh, 1600cc with 70 horsepower, and it was a heavy car because a fiberglass car, we needed to have the full cage to give us protection in case. And uh, if I said to you in China... The man with the bravest guts gets the way. He could be on a push bike, fighting to get right away with a fifteen thousand, fifteen ton lorry. Mm. It wouldn't matter. They just go towards each other. The one with the strongest nerves gets through.
0: Oh my god!
1: Oh my it god! It is. It is. I mean, if you look at the pictures I've sent to you, it's horrendous conditions.
0: Yes. Yeah. They
1: have. Uh, they have six sheep live. Stuck on a motorbike at the back of it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Those are sort of casual scenes of what you see. Yeah. And uh, uh, same with Kazakhstan, same with Turkmenistan. It's the very dangerous places to, to drive. To drive,
0: yeah. Wow.
1: Anyway, so, it, I mean, this this whole thing lasted seven weeks. Wow. 10,000 miles. And we only had uh, two days break in Almaty, sort of a, a stopover. Uh, it was the first time I slept in a tent It was in Gobi Desert, and you know the Brits, they're very conservative. They told us it will be minus 5 degrees Celsius. The first night in the desert, in the tent, it was minus 17 degrees Celsius. (laughs) And I woke up, and there's no one you can borrow anything from because people are traveling as light as possible not to sort of burden their suspension. You know, that was very clear for every entry. Right. So I said to myself, I have enough uh, medicine with me. I have a satellite phone to call my position. I said at the end of the day i'm not going to die probably i'll have a pneumonia but that's it so since i cannot do anything else i put the ipod on i listen i was listening to some great music <laughs> and I, I assumed as if i was in southwest turkey swimming in blue turquoise waters <laughs> in a way paradigm shift saved me yeah so wow. i was running high temperature for a few days i did this event at the age of 59 mm-hmm. now Quite often, I'm called in my big big companies and universities to give a small lecture to the to the uh, employees or the students mm-hmm. about this uh, epic journey. Yes. And my motto is, gentlemen, ladies, please don't push away what you really want to do in life. Alternatively, set high standards. There's no way you will not be able to do it. You will be able to do it. Mm-hmm. I was invited to the top university, and there were the second grade students, and I said to all of them, "This is my motto." Now, I wish I had done this when I was 19 or 29 or 39, not at 59. You know, I'm way past my life now. I don't know how long more I live, but you you were at the start of your road, road, uh, what you call journey to to success, the future. Please have this in mind. I said, I'll test you out. The proof of the pudding is in its eating. Three years ago, none of you, if I ever said to one of them, uh, one of you, I uh, met you accidentally and said, In three years' time, I'll see you in this top university. You'll be listening to me. You wouldn't have believed me. You would have said, Impossible. But you set your mind to it. Here you are. You've been here for two years. That's the proof. And uh, that's exactly what it gave me. I, you know, I, I really figured out that as a human being, as long as it is possible, there's no limits. One can do it.
0: There you go. There you go. Awesome story. Well, Matt, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment it's a time when uh, uh, those headlights kind of lit your way to a new direction or a new path and maybe you could tell us some steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success
1: this is all about uh, the aha moment is uh, all about winning the person or the people across the table now when i was inexperienced there were times when I was adamant that I would not change my point of view. Although it was right later in life, I realized that one cannot at all times tell to the other man or the other lady what his point of view is and stick to it. Mm-hmm. If you see that they're, they're reacting to the uh, to the concept, it's because they're of different minds, because probably they don't know as much, you do, as, much as you do, or they are compelled to take a different decision. Uh, the aha moment is... Please try to win the person on the other side of the table, no matter what. This you can do by not uh, changing your point of view, but you could be toning it down. You could be saying, what I, think is, what I say is, uh, from my point of view, uh, correct and viable and uh, is, is applicable to the situation. But nevertheless, I'm sure from your angle, there will be some other issues to be taken into consideration, which I do respect, and I'm sure you're right. Because at the end of the day to come to an amicable solution, you have to win them. There's no two ways about it. In the Speaking to Paris rally, before we started the rally, we decided to get in sponsorship uh, money, not for ourselves. We said uh, basically that, you know, we were educated properly, we were given opportunities, and we were running companies of our own. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, made possible by the people at large, the community around us, Mm. uh, all the facilities. So, I said to my partner in, my, in, the, in this rally, I said, "Adol, this is what we should be doing. We should get in sponsorship uh, from all concerned, all possible top guys, top boys, top companies, and from the monies we raise, we should be able to put a small bit of a, a sort of a cream or a lubricator or a, s- a small a spot of goodness onto an issue that the community suffers." Mm. Uh, because of the large population and the young population, around half a million plus people cannot make it to college, although they are good enough mm-hmm. because the dad is not there. The dad is, uh, what you call, retired. The dad is out of job. The dad has seven kids. All of things we do see in life. Mm-hmm. So education was the main thing. And we decided to raise uh, a huge amount of money, and we were able to do that. We put the ceiling at half a million dollars. And we finalized by getting in $500,000 uh, before we set off the rally. The monies were put into the charity. We chose an educational charity. Mm. And the aha moment was there's a large bank in Turkey, part of a city. Uh, a city bank was a part of it at the time. I don't know what's the situation today. But the marketing lady, I was pestering her left, right, and center. She picked up the phone and said, Mr. Ongan, I'm sorry to tell you that we have run out of the marketing funds for this year. Now, I said to myself, aha, uh-huh, this is my aha moment. I'll be damned if I accept defeat because she has to pay. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was sure she was not telling me the truth. You know, I did not have enough clout with her to give us mm. the $10,000 only. So I said to myself, it will be a great shame if you can't get out of this. Come on now. And the aha moment came true, and I was able to come up with a solution. I said, I accept your requirements, your situation, circumstances, and I'm sure that's the case. I'm not doubting about that. But I said, to be honest with you, this whole sponsorship is about university study. So it is four years. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll do something that I haven't done to anyone else and probably will not do it to any other company. Since you're so good in ring us, uh, ring us up and tell us the situation, we'll accept $2,500 per annum for four
0: years
1: (laughs) she ran out of words she said put the phone down then i got hold of the ceo and i said come on and the money was paid but that was aha moment you know when you push hard enough Mm -hmm. yourself you can produce the uh, the the actual solution
0: certainly certainly well how about proudest career moments i would assume you've had many but is there one that stands out for you
1: yes i mean uh, of course, till uh, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, uh, there's been friction between the Turks and the Greeks. Uh, it's, it's politics, basically. People are the same. It's just politics. And uh, I have more close Greek friends probably than I have Turkish friends because in UK, I was sharing a house with one of them. I have plenty of brothers in, in Athens. I go and stay with them. They give me the house keys, the car keys, that kind of a setup, you know, just being a family. Yes. Now… Uh, I was very, very cross about the thing going between the two, two countries, and uh, uh, when I was able to secure uh, the biggest Greek company as our shareholders, it was really very a proud moment mm. for me, because it was a personal a roadmap achieved. I was able to get Greek partners into my company, and I was very proud of them, yes. and this was sensational news, of course, overnight, you know how can you do this situation yeah. it was it was a very positive thing from my point of view and i was
0: very able to, i was
1: very proud that i was able to do it
0: well congratulations i think it's fantastic i think it's what the whole world needs more of is really we are all the same in many respects finding ways to get along and uh, work together is, is so important now let's have a little bit of fun what was your first really special car and maybe you could share a memory with that vehicle
1: sure basically in my first year at uni, uh, dad refused to lend me the money to buy a car. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cardiff is a very wet town. It takes the Gulf Stream effect. And the university hall was at the top of a hill. It was miles away from the university. I had to wait for buses. So the whole thing was very, very difficult. And uh, uh, he promised that if I went through my first year, he would lend me the money. Sure enough, I went through the first year. I got the money, I came back to London, and I was searching like mad the car I, I could afford. So then I came across a 1966 Mark I Triumph Spitfire. Oh, cool. It is a sort of a 1300cc sports car, a lovely driving position, excellent sort of view, and I loved it left, right, and center, except I did not realize that the uh, uh, rear suspension was the le- most lethal. Uh, whenever designed the uh, the leaf uh, which called uh, the leaf springs yes. leaf springs mm-hmm. on e- on every car that I knew up till that time, it is alongside the car, mm. and Triumph so far is between the two wheels is across the side of the, the the width of the car, mm-hmm. and that means that if you lose the, the tail end at the corner. There's no way you'll be able to put it right. There's no recovery. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I lost it a few times. I was dead lucky that nothing happened to me. I did not hit anything, but the car was all over the place. So, uh, but the Triumph Spitfire was white. It was black interior. It was one of the two sports cars at the uni. So all the young ladies were nice. <laughs> uh, that was, I was that able to take out bit. for drinks. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And it was, it was a small toy in summertime. I used to take the hardtop off. And used with a soft top. Yeah. in summer uh, winter months it was hard to on, you know it was a great, great toy. uh
0: wish I'd kept it nice car, yeah, fantastic. How about sellers' remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back
1: uh i had i mean I sold many Porsches. yes, there's one car that I regret having sold, but we were moving to Turkey, and the car was right and drive right. in nineteen ninety two I took a decision that my business in Turkey was getting a bit out of control. I had to be there. And for uh, the last three, four years in UK, I was driving a 924 Carrera GT. Oh. Now, this was one of the 400 homologation specials.
0: Yeah. It
1: had uh, Kevlar wheels. Now, Kevlar was a very... New material in car uh, manufacturing. The car was 1982 uh, or 81 year old manufacturer, uh-huh. and I bought it in 87 or 88. Because when it was new, it was so expensive. It's unbelievable. Wow! It was thirty thousand pounds, fifty thousand dollars in 1981. A lot of money. Yeah. It was just like a go kart. I had never drove a car that was as good as this car on the roads ever. And today. If I came across another one, I think I'll buy it without a blink in my eyes. Yeah. Now uh, the only drawback is that uh, it had an all uh, similar engine, uh, a two-liter engine, mm-hmm. and it was turbo-blown. It only had, was pumping out 210 horsepower, and the kicking of the turbo at 3,000 rpm was wild. Yeah. So till 3,000 rpm, nothing happened. Then thereafter, <laughs> that you, you turbo lag will
0: get you.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. But it was, you know, the driving position, the road holding. The actual flares on the car, uh, factory supplied. It was fantastic. Wow. Fantastic indeed. So I think that is the only car that I'll be regretting that I let go, apart from my sweetheart uh, Spitfire in, in as yeah. my first proper car.
0: <laughs> yeah. What a car. Well, how about today? What are you up to this year that really has you excited and fired up?
1: You know what? Uh, years back... Uh, I went, I loved Steve McQueen. He's still my favorite star, mm-hmm. driver and everything. And I went to see uh, this uh, Thomas Crown Affair. Ah. And in that film, with Faye Dunaway on the beach, in his beach buggy, I was so much in love with that car. I said to myself, <laughs> one day, I will have a beach buggy. So this year, we built a beach buggy. How fun. <laughs> so his car was, apparently had a 2.3-liter Corvair engine in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was very tail-heavy, apparently. Yeah. Alex Finnegan uh, from Paul Russell Cars has a, much has a call, beach buggy. Uh-huh. We share, we love the same type of cars, funnily enough, and although I'm very much an amateur compared to Alex, he was selling me this a 2.3 Corvair engine in that car, uh, but mine has a 2-liter, uh, bored out of 2-liter VW engine, 140 horsepower, but there's barely any weight on the car. Right. So... I haven't had the opportunity to put it into onto the beach yet because we finalized the car somewhere around the end of November. It was too cold. But that's the car. And I have two 944s that I want to sort of restore and hopefully make something similar to a 94 career GT that is in the uh, in the pipeline. Wow. Uh, but getting cars in a sort of a tatty condition, in a sort of a to-do-up condition, mm-hmm. and then doing it to my specs and dealing with it, choosing the colors, choosing the Odds and ends. Nice. Really takes a lot of stress out of me. Yeah,
0: that's
1: that's very important.
0: Yeah, you know, Alex has been a guest here on the show, and Steve McQueen's son, Chad, was a guest here on the show. So, oh, uh, great. Yeah, yeah. So you're in great company being a Carja yeah alumni here. I'm at, and uh, <laughs> and I love the buggy because I grew up in Southern California. You see those driving around the streets all the time down there. So uh, back when I was a kid, one of my first cars was a Volkswagen Carmen Ghia, So I'm really familiar with those engines as well. So. Sure. Sounds like you have some fun projects coming up for sure. Well, here's a very introspective question for you: If you were a car, what kind of car would Ahmet be, and why?
1: Okay, we, the human beings, are the drivers, and that's for whom the cars are produced. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll tackle the question upside down, if I may, from back, from the bottom to the top. Okay. If I were a car, I would definitely be a 911. Because it's the only uh, vehicle car produced that is the best fit to a human being mentally, Mm -hmm. physically, in every angle. It's like having a female jack and a male jack. I would love to be a 911. Because people will be driving me, and I'll fit them perfectly well.
0: <laughs> I like that. I, I, you shared that with me uh, when I was interviewed by my son, Blake, on my 300th show. That's basically uh-huh. how I answered the question. I'm a 911 as uh-huh. well, so we, uh, we're we in the same uh-huh. same field. I'm a big fan of those vehicles, as my listeners know. Very nice. Well, Ahmed, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you yeah. to today's Cars. Yeah, sponsors. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp member, Finra Sipik. Driving never meant more as the all new driving adventure awaits you with a not for profit Drive Toward a Cure. Combines two spirited drives for a weekend of cars and camaraderie in Paso Robles, California all to support finding a cure for Parkinson's disease in a showcase of ribbon roads in California of chrome and elegance coming up this April 28th. Enjoy some of the nicest cars, people, drives, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving towards a cure for Parkinson's. To register or donate, click on com or check out Cars Yeah! guest Deb Pollock's show notes page where there's links to drive toward a cure. Donate today, or better yet, go for the drive. Okay, I'm at. we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Now,
1: this was from my late father. He was a good engineer and good driver, not necessarily a rally driver or race driver, but he liked his cars. The best advice up to now has been at nighttime, if you are driving on a non-motorway, non-what uh, you call highway, mm-hmm. just country roads, the safest way to travel is if you can choose a car, tail a car that is going your speed, as long as you see the lights, you're 100% safe.
0: Ah, nice, nice uh, suggestion from your, your late father. Very nice. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success?
1: Uh, being positive, being mm-hmm. happy.
0: Yes. Uh, Definitely.
1: You have to give the positive energy to, to people around you. Then people do better than what they should be doing.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we talked about that at the beginning of your talk. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources these days, but is there one that you'd like to share?
1: My resources wise guys who are into the same hobby. Ah, And yes. uh, this is very important. Then you don't waste time. Because the, the the websites, the suppliers, the blog is really, uh, could be, and they usually are one-sided. But people, no. I found car people around the world, literally good friends around the world. They're, all of them are decent people, honest
0: people, and straight people. Yeah, it's great to have friends like Alex Finnegan, for sure. People that sure, are very, sure. very skilled and knowledgeable. Sure. Now you've got a new friend here with me, and I've got a new friend in Turkey with you. So, yeah, this car hobby that we all hang out in is full of great people for sure. Speaking of great people, if you could have a drink with any person in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Steve McQueen? Ah, (laughs) Yes. Wouldn't that be something?
1: I mean, him driving that 2.2S at the start of the Le Mans film. You know, him driving in Le Mans, him driving the bullet film, him driving the beach buggy, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, you'll have to go back and listen to Chad McQueen's show when he was here on Cars yeah, because he talks about his father, and he was a little boy, about nine years old, when they were filming Le Mans, and he was there on mm-hmm. set most of the time. He was living there with his mom and dad. Go back and listen to that show. I think you'll enjoy it. He talks a lot about his dad and his father's passion for cars. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you'd like to share with the Cars yeah listeners? There's plenty of books that I read,
1: and plenty of them are very impressive, but... What I try to do is uh, really uh, uh, Octane magazine keeps Mm. me on my toes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can read about a lot about different kinds of cars, events, uh, applications. I love my Octane. I I I can't wait, you know, quick enough to get my hands on one of them.
0: (laughs) Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Ahmed has shared on his show notes page at carsia.com/slash Ahmed Angun. You spell his name A H. M-E-T, and his last name O-N-G-U-N. And there's another great place on the Cars yeah! website called Guest Recommended Books. where Octane, even though it's a magazine, will be listed there. And all the past guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. Just click on the Resources tab. You'll find it right there. Check it out. It's amazing research of wonderful reading material. All right, I'm Matt. We are up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be quite a doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car... In your garage, I know I said one. That's going to be tough for you, I have a feeling. <laughs> no, but no. money is no object. I'll buy you anything you'd like today. What would it be? It would
1: be one of my cars that I have today. Ah. It's a 1988 911 Carrera that I have backdated. It's a factory fire speed, and it has all the most up-to-date uh, suspension and mechanicals of the Air code 911 era, bar the 993 because 993 has got a different body on it, of course. Yeah. And uh, so this is the car that I'd love to keep, have as a single car. It gives me kicks in every different avenue, in looks, in feeling, in performance. It's good enough. It's about 260, 270 horsepower. Wow. And uh, I brought some tuning chips apart uh, from States. Uh, there's a peculiar exhaust on it with three tailpipes, two of them for sporting, and you put the uh, actual caps on uh-huh. and just leave one out uh, for the city driving. The city driving is blocked on mine, and I'm, I'm driving it with a sort of out-of-town uh, muffler open all the time. <laughs> Beautiful sound. Uh, you can hear the, the symphony, the 911 symphony, all the time. So, and it, There's no electronic gadgetry on it, uh, which I ex- uh, appreciate. You have to be sensible to drive it fast enough but safe enough.
0: Uh, you know, I love it when my guests already have their dream car. It means two things. One is I don't have to buy them a car. It's just always good. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing, more importantly, of course, all jokes aside, is that you have found your true passion. You have that car that means so much to you. So I'm very, very uh, excited for you. Uh, so many people that wish they'd gotten to that point in life. And, uh, certainly sounds like you have a fantastic vehicle there. Very cool. Well, Ahmed, you have taken me on an awesome ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the CarShout listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off down the road in that Carrera of yours? Life
1: is like a road journey. So we're driving cars, not even uh, if not even physically, but mentally all the time. And, uh, of course, we would like to go as quick as possible to the end result, to the end of the journey. We have to be alert and sensible and enjoy the full ride. But at the same time, we have to be happy about what we're doing, no matter what. It could be ice on the street. It could be raining. It could be foggy. We have to enjoy our driving. We have to enjoy our living. Yes. We're only here once.
0: Very well said. And now, what's the best way for our listeners to follow along with what you're doing?
1: Basically, uh, it's, it's a hard commitment. I have no other hobbies. It's my work, and the rest of the time is to my cars. I play with them. I talk to my friends. I travel. And uh, in, in 2018, there's an, a rally in Africa that I'll be doing, a 280 CE 1975 wow. factory five speed. So uh, I'm try- constantly trying to keep myself up to date with rallies outside Turkey as well as inside Turkey. Sure. And this is when I dry- drive sort of to to competition, but… Again, on the day, on the roads, as long as being sensible and knowing the roads, that without the speed cameras, of course, I put my foot down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. Now, do you have a website or some place that people can follow along with what you're doing, or are you active on social media? Uh,
1: unfortunately, not, because I'm running a company still at the age of 64 with 70 people scattered in Central Asia and Turkey. Ah, it takes a lot out of me. Hopefully, one day. And I hope not in far distance, uh, distant, uh, future. Once I'm retired, I'll exactly do that. I know that I'm missing on that, but it's just lack of time.
0: I understand completely. Well, listeners, again, you can find all these great things on Ahmet's Cars Yeah show notes page. Just go to CarsYeah.com and type Ahmet in the search bar and that page will pop up. I'll make sure I share some of the pictures that he's shared with me on social media. So you can see some of these cars that we've, uh, been talking about so follow me on facebook and instagram and twitter and linkedin and all those great sites ahmed thank you again for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your automotive journey with the car Show listeners and me until we talk again i'll see you down the road
1: mark thank you very much it's been a great pleasure spending this limited time with you and i thank you for taking the time sparing your time and putting it my way And I wish all the fellow car enthusiasts all the best in life.
0: The pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up!